1: hi i'm Arianna, and this is royal town talking podcast what's on in sutton coalfield today we have with us andrew mitchell mp for sutton coalfield so andrew thank you for joining me today I understand you've been MP for Sutton Coalfield now continuously for around 20 years?
0: Yes, uh, tw- nearly 21, I think. Um, it's obviously uh, a, a great privilege to represent the Royal Town in the House of Commons. My, my predecessor, uh, Lord Norman uh, Fowler, uh, represented uh, Sutton Coldfield after representing a Nottingham seat. And I, in fact, by coincidence, did exactly the same thing. I was in Parliament for 10 years before coming to Sutton Coldfield. Um in Nottinghamshire, and then I came across and was lucky enough to be selected and elected to represent the royal town and It is you know the greatest privilege of my life to have been given the chance to represent the good people of the royal town of Culford.
1: and as you mentioned of course you've uh, you've represented in Nottinghamshire also and I believe several other roles uh, as well in your history and politics. And I guess one thing that always interests me is why people want to get into politics in the first place, and what they find rewarding about that as a role.
0: Well, I think most people come to politics from a mixture of altruism and egotism. And in a way, you know, if you if you're too far one way, maybe you shouldn't be involved in politics. If you're Maybe if it's too altruistic, there are other professions for you. And if you're uh, too egotistic, there's certainly other professions for you. But, but I think it's a mixture of those two things. And for me, I had uh, a father who was in politics who was a member of Parliament too. So in a way, I sort of learnt about the pluses and minuses of politics at the kitchen table. And I saw him looking after his constituents. But in the end, once I'd sort of left university and got a proper job, I did find myself sort of shouting at the television over some of the things that were going on. And, and in the end, you know, someone said to me, well, instead of shouting at the television, why don't you do something about it? And I suppose, I suppose that was really my, my route into, into politics.
1: You must have had some interesting family dinners at home.
0: Well, my father was always to the right of me. I'm, I'm a pretty centrist politician, really. I'm a one nation Indeed, I'm the chairman of the One Nation Group of Conservative Members of Parliament. And lots of people try and appropriate for themselves the One Nation title. But actually, you know, I think that Sutton Coalfield is a very One Nation town. You know, it's full of moderate people who are internationalists, who care about the world around us and, of course, who care hugely about the environment and climate change and the quality of life in the Royal Town. And I think it's a very One Nation sort of place. And I sort of tease my Labour friends in Sutton Goldfield that really they are a certainly small C conservative and, and should really be joining the One Nation brand of conservatism that I hope I represent.
1: So what drives you and motivates you most in your role?
0: I think that uh, the heart of anything a Member of Parliament does has to be looking after their constituents. And I think at the point where... You know, it's no longer exciting and important and fulfilling to you when you get back to your constituency on a a Thursday. When that, when you reach the point where it is no longer fulfilling, then you shouldn't really do it anymore. But I think that the the motivation I have is, I hope, to look after Sutton Coldfield and all the people, the hundred thousand or so who are within the curtilage of the royal town, and to try and improve those things that need to be improved and also make sure that we keep the good things and don't allow them to be frittered away or or not taken note of uh, or dismissed so that we, we make sure that we build on what is good and tackle what is not so good.
1: What do you find most rewarding?
0: Oh, I, I keep a file of thank you letters, actually, which on bad days I sometimes have a look at. Uh, and... Um, uh, I think that, that uh, the most, in many ways, you know, a lot of being in politics is very frustrating, actually. But, the, the, but in, the, in the end, if you know you've made a difference to someone's life, one of your constituents has, you know, something has happened which you've been able to affect to make things better for them, then that's enormously satisfying.
1: I love that you keep a file. That's great.
0: Yes, well, it's, uh, it's some years old now, but it's, uh, it's quite a thick file, I'm pleased to say.
1: Good. So of course I guess over the last 12 months or so um, we've had some unprecedented circumstances for sure and one of the larger impacts within our community has been on the um, small and independent retail businesses as well as obviously the large household names that we've seen recently close and, and leave our high streets. I've been talking to some local people and i mean even nigel for instance he told me that he'd counted about 30 closed units within the grace church shopping center and the high streets so i'm curious really what you can tell us about what might be being done now to help support those retailers and specifically the small independents that that really we hope not to lose
0: well let's deal with the very specific and then the more general uh, specifically in the budget last week, the business rates holiday was extended for three months and then it tapers on for another nine months. So alongside a 2023 revaluation to reflect accurately the impact of COVID, the government has initiated a fundamental review into the business rate system as a whole. The review's aims reflect a desire amongst other things, to address concerns about complexity, improve the targeting of reliefs, examine alternative methods of setting business rates, multipliers, and investigate how the billing process can be modernised and digitised. So so that's the specifics that in the last budget we've done to try and help. But turning to the town centre, I have very close relations with the business community, and I have been in awe and humbled and by the way, local small businesses throughout this crisis. And I have visited a lot of them, you know, from the tattoo parlors to some of the restaurants and lounges and cafe lounges and so on. I've been in awe of the way they have clung on by their fingertips, they're full of innovative ideas, how to survive as soon as they can reopen. Um, many of them are literally hanging on by the skin of their teeth. But, but uh, you know, it will get better. And I am sure, you know, that there is a bright future ahead. And one of the things we've learned in the town centre uh, is, is what is required. It took a long time to get Mere Green right. But once we knew what to do, we did it. And Mere Green is a success story, I think, on any objective basis now. And in the town centre, we know we need a mixed economy where you've got housing of all sorts, freehold, part equity hold, leasehold, flats, you know, we want a whole range of different types of dwelling places alongside a full community of activities, you know, whether it's uh, small niche retail, cafe society, whether it's uh, big national retail, we need a hotel there, Um, we need all sorts and conditions we want to have a, a build on our fabulous library resources we want to have a heritage center uh, in the town center there so we want to build a community which is not just retail and it will happen it may take a bit of time but it will happen and we're going to have uh, an interchange system between uh, for transport between the station and buses uh, and we will have this and the town council which is the right entity is very much in charge of coordinating With the mayor, with me, with Birmingham City Council, with private developers. The town council run by Simon Ward, a considerable businessman who knows what he's doing. We have the benefit of Andy Street, our mayor, who used to run John Lewis and understands about uh, retail and the need to refashion the way the town centre is done. So we've got lots of plans in the making. I can't tell it's going to happen with enormous speed, but it's going to be heavily consulted locally. So we end up with a town centre that is fit for purpose, in one of of the most ritzy places in Britain to to live. You know, if you look at the Sunday Times supplements, you'll find that some Coalfield is always in the top four or five the most desirable places to live in Britain.
1: And I believe it absolutely is, for sure. I would agree with that. Um, so you, you mentioned there the the new public transport interchange, um, which I know is part of that town center master plan. And can you tell us anything about how that is progressing?
0: Yes, I mean the, the town, because it's now in the hands of the uh the, the the town council, they have commissioned a report, a very detailed report. Uh that report uh and uh the discussion with the owners. It's it's a bit like um you know, through paying three-dimensional chess in the town centre because you've got very different ownership. You've got the Grace Church Centre, the ownership there. You've got the principally, but not only, the um, parade and so forth, which is owned by Birmingham City Council. And You've got other elements that are owned by uh, a major pension fund uh, from the north. So, you know, getting everyone into the right place for this redevelopment is incredibly important. Um, and uh, the time under the town council's leadership, we are now making progress.
1: Okay, but there's no timelines that you can disclose at this moment in time.
0: I don't think I don't think it's right to think in terms of timelines. But mm-hmm. every day that goes by brings it closer, and of course brings the finish. And all of us will be very conscious of the fact that in 2028, it's the 500th anniversary of our royal charter from King Henry VIII and you know I very much hope that by that stage we'll be able to see a town centre at least in the distance that is fit for purpose for the royal town of Sutton Pilfer.
1: And it states at the heart of the master plan there are a series of big moves. Are these things that you could expand on for us?
0: Well I think it all comes in the context of what I've set out for you Uh, and that's that's the context in which the town Council is working.
1: Okay, wonderful, thank you. Now, crime um, is always high, I guess, on everybody's agenda, but I think there are perhaps some misconceptions that business crime is generally victimless. However, um, it's not the case as far as I understand it. In the ACS's most recent crime report, the estimates were that shop theft alone can cost the convenience sector approximately £44 million. So what I would like to know really is what can be done um, to help move business crime higher up on the police's agenda to stop repeat offenders stealing from shops and harming the communities that they serve ultimately?
0: Well you're quite right in that analysis and and again let me deal with the specific first. Through the National Retail Crime Steering Group we bring retailers and police together to tackle retail crime. And we are encouraging closer local partnerships between police and retailers so that better crime prevention measures are put in place by retailers and the local police respond effectively to crimes when they are reported. You know, in 2014, the government also changed the law to enable cases of theft from a shop of goods with a value of 200 pounds or less to be dealt with as summary only offenses. And this enables certain Types of shock theft to be dealt with as swiftly and efficiently as possible and it enables the police to prosecute uncontested uh, cases. It is, it is really for chief constables and police and crime commissioners as operational leaders and elected local representatives to decide how best to respond to individual crimes and local crime priorities, but to help ensure that the police have the resources they need to do so and, one of the things I've been very concerned about, along with many, many people throughout the Royal Town, is this Labour Police and Crime Commissioner proposal to, sh- to shut down Sutton Coalfield's police station. And the Conservative candidate in the, in the elections, the mayoral elections, for the role of police and crime commissioner is a Suttonian. Jay Sohan Singh, and uh, he has made a specific pledge to keep open the police station. And I'm very pleased about that. Uh, But, you know, policing is local, as your question implies, and we need local policing in Sutton Killfield sourced out of the police station and not have that police station closed down.
1: And I'm glad to hear that. Hopefully that will be the case, that it will not be. So one of the things um, we did, Andrew, was speak to some of our followers to see if they had any questions specifically for you that they would like me to ask. So I've got a few here that I hope uh, are okay with you that we felt were relevant. Right. So Justine um, had concerns around road safety, both in terms of the general conditions and speeding drivers in Sutton Coalfield. And she asked, with less traffic on the roads due to COVID-19, It was a perfect opportunity for the council to target and fill the growing number of potholes. However, many concerns uh, have been raised with the council and whilst for some they do do a temporary fill-in, others they don't, merely just marking around them. Surely when they go out to fill these potholes, they must notice the others in close proximity, but they don't appear to be remedied.
0: Yes, well, it's an extremely good question from Justine. as a matter of fact, I asked a written question in Parliament uh, just last month to find out how much money the Transport Department has allocated to Birmingham City Council for the repair of potholes in the last 12 months. And as, uh, as, you, as you may know, it's not a, a Royal Sutton-Killfield Town Council issue. It rests with Birmingham City Council. And, uh, you know, the answer I got... Uh, was uh, this, that Birmingham City Council as a local highway authority is responsible for the maintenance of its local road network. Birmingham City Council has a highways maintenance private finance initiative project for the comprehensive upgrade and maintenance over 25 years of their highway network. The project commenced operation on the 7th of June 2010 and the department is providing over 1.2 billion towards the 2.7 billion total cost. Um, I've also uh, raised a number of queries specifically with Birmingham City Council on behalf of uh, constituents who've complained about this, because I very much agree with Justine, that with less traffic around, it's the perfect opportunity to fill those uh, potholes. And the government did announce some time ago that this was the case and that extra money would be available for uh, potholes as well.
1: It's good to have that context, actually, that it's the the Birmingham City Council, because uh, I think it's it's useful for us to understand where those responsibilities lie. Also, Um, and next on the issue of road safety, Justine also said that the speed of traffic generally is very high. I know that there's been councillors monitoring speeds in certain areas, Webster Way had been called out specifically, but there hasn't really been any remedial action as yet that has been seen and when Justine in fact raised it with her councillor it was suggested that she actually monitor the times where the speeding was getting worse, um, which I, seems strange that it should be recommended that members of the public uh, should have to track that speeding. So I guess the the question here is really what is the protocol on having traffic calming or slowing measures implemented?
0: Well again roads are not devolved to the Royal Coldfield Town Council and I have received a number of emails about this. Each situation is different. Um, there was a very bad situation indeed on the A38 where the police intervene heavily. Um, and I always support local residents whether there is a consensus about what is required. For example, dummy or real speed cameras, signs, etc. So I always weigh in on behalf of local residents. But the, the decision rests in part with the police and in part with... Birmingham City Council and it's important to, you know, to say that our, our Sutton Conservative uh, Birmingham City Councillors always uh, press on this point and you know, they go over the border into Birmingham and fight very, very hard for our interests in the Royal Town.
1: So if um, anybody has concerns of this nature, who should they be talking to, who should they bring it up with?
0: Well, I think in the first instance, they should bring it up with uh, uh, their Birmingham City Council, uh, who, as I say, I know will take action. Um, But if uh, they're dissatisfied or they don't get what they want uh, out of it, they're very welcome to uh, come on to me. My role in that really is to back our councillors in getting a positive result.
1: Okay, perfect. Thank you. Next, there is uh, an extra levy which Sutton Coalfield residents pay as part of their council tax and Sheila Mansell wanted to know what plans there are to enhance or promote within the area. She does say that the team are doing a great job with cleaning and tidying up, um, but she would like to know if there's perhaps a list of where the monies have been spent or ideas of what the plans are for the future.
0: Well, the minutes and agendas of the meetings uh, of the Royal Sutton Coalfield uh, Town Council are available online, uh, Sheila, and there is a strategic plan for 2020 to 2023 available also. I mean, the the, the great thing about the Town Council uh, is that it is staffed with, uh, as it happens, mainly Conservative councillors, but all the councillors on it have the blue blood of Sutton Coldfield flowing through their veins and it's one of the reasons why I'm so keen that the park should be taken over effectively. I think that there'll be a number of of ways of doing this, uh, including through some sort of trust structure, but I think it should be led by the Royal Sutton Coldfield Town Council because the councillors there are closest to the park and and, uh, the... um, In general, government is always best when it is conducted as close to the people it affects as possible, and I think that's a particularly important aspect of the growing role of the Royal South Kilfield Town Council. It is the biggest town council in the country, it's not very old, and it is gaining in experience, and I want to be sure that it gains also in authority and role locally as and when it can, and indeed takes over some of the role of Birmingham City Council, which, because it's closer to local people, it is better able to execute. And um, what is most important, and it sort of bears on Sheila's first point, is that we should not see any form of double taxation. In other words, if we take over the role of Birmingham City Council on the park, it mustn't mean that my constituents are paying twice over, once through the precept to sutton Hillfield Town Council, and once uh, through the council tax to Birmingham City Council. I can't think of anything that will annoy people in the Royal Town more than feeling they're being legged over and double taxed. So it's very important that the precepts should not compensate for things that should really be dealt with by Birmingham City Council, but which are not being dealt with. And out of frustration say, well, we'll use the precept money to do it. Um, And I'm full of admiration for the town council's parsimony and care with our precept because, you know, they are accumulating balances and I, I, these balances will undoubtedly be needed. They'll be needed if we uh, do something with the park. They'll be needed in terms of the town centre role, but by not frittering the money away, but by ensuring that these grants are, uh, that, these, that these, this sum is, is really carefully looked after and built up. Uh, I give top marks to the Town Council for not, um, you know, spending it because people say you should spend it. But but looking after it very careful, good husbandry um, for the time when it will really benefit the Royal Town. So top marks to the Tory administration for that parsimony and care.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. And I know we've touched somewhat on some of the, the plans and the next steps for the region but I wonder if there were any other key priorities that you were able to share with us today?
0: Yes, I mean the agenda of Andy Street who is currently our Mayor and who will be seeking re-election in May is incredibly important for the region and also for Sutton Coalfield and why do I say that? Because he is able to negotiate with the Tory government in Westminster and get everything possible for the West Midlands and also for Sutton Coalfield. He's already uh, heavily engaged with town centre plans, he's engaged on transport issues, uh, opening up the Sutton Park line, all of these things, uh, you know, a good mayor like Andy Street can help deliver for the region and for Sutton Colford.
1: Perfect. So, Andrew, on a lighter note, um, I've got a couple of signature questions, which I hope is okay with you. Of course. I would like to know, in the last few months, uh, what your biggest surprise has been that can be personal or work related, I guess.
0: What my biggest surprise has been? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'll tell you what it has, actually. It's, uh, I've found a publisher for my book. I wrote a book oh. uh, in, in, in between looking after all my constituents during the first lockdown. I wrote a book. And there's a publisher who, who likes it very much, and it'll be published later this year. So that's probably my biggest surprise.
1: Oh, well, congratulations. What's it called?
0: It hasn't yet got a title, but we're working on that.
1: OK, so watch this space.
0: And it'll definitely be available from, from uh, uh, a good bookshop in Sutton Coalfield in due course.
1: Wonderful. And do you remember what the first record you bought was?
0: Do you know I do? It was by the Beatles and it was it's a, such a long time ago now, but it was by the Beatles and it was called Can't Buy Me Love.
1: Do you still have it? Do
0: you know? I don't think I do. And if oh. I did, it would be worth a lot more than I paid for it. I
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. And I guess finally, then, do you have a secret skill or, or a party trick of some sorts?
0: I think that uh, in that I have a secret skill, it is. Um, it is, uh, that, um, <laughs> I suppose, I suppose if I have a secret skill, it, it is that I know a little bit about wine, uh, but okay. only wine from a particular area of France. And because I was rather brought up in the wine trade, I've taken a particular interest in that. So, I, so, so I, I know a bit about, uh, the wine that comes from the Bordeaux area of France.
1: Very good. So you'd be able to, to tell the wine in a blind taste test?
0: Well, I always avoid this because it's so embarrassing when you get it wrong. But I'd have a <laughs> chance. I'd have a chance, I think.
1: Sounds great. OK, so wine and books is what I've learned from this. We look forward to, uh, to that, hopefully, when, when things reopen again and we can enjoy those things.
0: I hope so. And I hope it won't be too long. And Arianna, thank you so much for such a nice and enjoyable podcast interview.
1: Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for joining us today and uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. It's a pleasure. All right. Take care. Andrew, thanks ever so much again for joining us. Uh, We look forward to seeing your book hopefully soon in the stores when it has a title. And thank you for sharing all your plans with us. Join me next time when I'll be talking to Laura Hughes from Power Medics. And finally, to all our listeners, thank you for listening. And please do leave us a review, good or bad. It's the only way we can find out if you are enjoying the content and get ideas from what else you would like to hear. So until next time, stay at home, protect the NHS and save lives. Take care and goodbye.
0: This is a four-pause production
1: for What's On it at Colford.